the American Shoreline Podcast Network's coverage of the 2019 ASBPA National Conference in Myrtle Beach is brought to you by CDM Smith, collaborating with national agencies and local partners for sustainable coastal environments and resilient coastal communities. Thank you to CDM Smith for your support. Hello, everybody, and we're back on the American Shoreline Podcast and back at the National ASBPA Conference. My name is Peter Ravel. I'm the co-host of this show. And I'm Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Show number two, Tyler, from the ASBPA Conference here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And what a privilege. We have the Presidential Award winner for 2019, Spencer Rogers, who is a coastal engineer with the North Carolina Sea Grant Program and I am amazed to say, has worked with Sea Grant for 41 years. And I'm telling you, Spencer, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for the invitation. Spencer, uh, you know, was present when we did our very, very first podcast uh, at the ASB in Fort Lauderdale a couple years ago. So it's great to have you back on the pod, Spencer. Nice to be here. It's, it is, Spencer, and, and I think it's appropriate that you received the award. There were four award winners uh, tonight, and we had on uh, a, one already, uh, which I was very, very happy to sit down with. Uh, Franny Bowie. Franny Bowie from CD, uh, CDM Rising Smith, Star. The Rising Star Award. This is the presidential award. And, Spencer, I know you're a humble guy, and getting these kind of things is, is not a big deal to you. But it does recognize, I think, the duration of your time um, working in coastal management in north in the state of North Carolina. And that's why I wanted to have you on. Congratulations, by the way, on the award. Thank you, sir. I, I consider myself the falling star of uh, <laughs> the award. So I'm the other end of the extreme. The fading star. That's yeah, the, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Okay, I got that. That's good. Well, we we thought we should have. We wanted her to, her award to be named, renamed shooting star, but she was rising. But anyway, on the uh, let's talk about North Carolina. You have been in and around the North Carolina coast for four decades. You've sa- seen it all. Um, Tell us about the highlights. What when you when you're thinking about the work that you've done on the North Carolina shoreline, what's at the top of your list? Well, I think that my, one of my highlights is that I came in when coastal management was just getting started, and I'd, I'd been working in Florida pushing permits on the oceanfront uh, for the state, uh, reviewing them and and issuing them uh, for three four years and. That was about as much permitting as I wanted to do in life, that you, you, you're not doing a good job unless everybody's mad at you, and that's not a particularly fun position. So these folks in permitting I have a, a high admiration for, and they manage to stick around. But uh, with Coastal Manager coming online, Sea Grant made me an offer uh, to come to North Carolina and, uh, and help them get kick-started with my uh, background in oceanfront permitting. So it's been really fun to watch that program grow over the years and evolve with time. And I think it's, it's done uh, an amazing job in a very challenging effort. Uh, it's certainly not a perfect system in North Carolina, but it's got a lot of things going for it. And they're working at keeping it better all the time. Uh, yeah. What are, well, you know, let's just keep on. What, what are some of the things that you see going right with the Sea Grant program? Well, I, with with Sea Grant, and uh, we're a broad program in a lot of fisheries and seafood and and planning and education. Um, I'm their uh, engineer geologist wing, 
and uh, and target most of those issues in the state forum. And Sea Grant uh, is is like land grant and the cooperative extension. I'm basically free advice uh, for anybody in the state that uh, has issues with. Um, hurricane-resistant building construction, shoreline erosion issues, uh, marine construction, docks, piers, and marinas, mm-hmm. and um, coastal management in general. So good the, the nice thing is I, I get to give free advice. I, I, uh, I get to advise them on the technical issues, and uh, I can't do design work for them. That's not what Sea Grant brings people in for. But we're there to point them in the right direction and understand the hazards and the risk and then hopefully make better decisions in the long run. So uh, one of the things that we like to do on this podcast is think really broadly about, uh, you know, the entire American shoreline and all of the different economic uh, interconnections that happen. But uh, you have spent uh, 40 years, as Peter mentioned, uh, working in North Carolina. Um, and I, I just want to... Florida, North Carolina, both... Or 40 years in North Carolina. In North Carolina. Wow. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, my question is, uh, you know, in baseball, uh, we just, we describe, like, historical eras, like there's the there's the curveball era. And, and I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how would you characterize that 40-year period? Are there eras of thought that you've seen come and go? Um, surely there's been a uh, – there have been – uh, themes throughout that period of time, and I'm just curious to know uh, in North Carolina. This is a good question. <laughs> I love this question. I can think of one, but go ahead, Spencer. Yeah, what, what about the eras? Uh, yeah, how would you characterize this? Yeah, I love this. Well, let, let's put it this way: in uh, the, the present era that we appear to be in is the era of resilience, which, which I, in some ways, find amusing because it's just another name for the stuff we've been doing for 40 years and um, building storm-resistant buildings and making wise decisions on building locations has been uh, a key part of uh, all of our work from the very start and Mm -hmm. you can call it something different but it's it's really pretty much the same thing we were doing 40 years ago not a lot of new tricks in the tool bag really well, let's put it this way. One of the things I get to do is to go into areas that have been hit by major hurricanes around the country mm-hmm. out of North Carolina. They they find a way to get me into these areas and find out what broke and just as importantly, find out what didn't break and figure out why. And uh, I've stopped taking many pictures anymore because it's pretty much the same old stuff. Um, every now and then we learn some new things about uh, storm impacts and building performance, but pretty much uh, most of what we've known was on the table 40 years ago mm-hmm. it's a matter of implementation and and detail well, okay and i think we want we need to talk about implementation and we need to talk about detail but in all of these observations you have made and being sent you know on behalf of fema or other uh sea grant programs around the country you've seen a lot of storms what have you learned seeing these communities post-storm what what are your observations? What's your takeaway? What do you tell your wife when you come back from one of these trips and go, you know what? This is what I saw. It's, it's not rocket science. Okay. Uh, it's, it's usually pretty simple lessons, and it's, it's necessary to, to, to be successful. You have to understand at least some limited ability of what the hazards are. You've you got to have a target on what you're designing for, and particularly in these areas that have been hit by bad storms, uh, they've already got a target of the last storm, mm-hmm. which is fresh in everybody's memory. So for Hurricane Ike, 
Uh, it's well above standards in the, the construction for the area, but if you build a house that on Bolivar Peninsula that's going to survive Hurricane Ike, you got a pretty good house. Right. So you got to start with. You're going to be 16 feet up, or probably what is it? What was it on that uh, thing? 16, it, 18? It, it was crazy. It pushed 20 feet in near ocean. So <sighs> man. Um, yeah. But, it, but I mean, it's all local. Yeah. Um, so understanding those hazards is an important step, and there's no better uh, evidence than last year's hurricane if it was bad enough. Right. Um, and then it's it's gets actually pretty simple. It's a matter of uh, in in wind resistance, you've got to have a consistent construction from the top of the roof to the bottom of the foundation, and it's primarily in connections, mm-hmm. tie and, downs. Yeah, and with flooding, you you don't the the obvious solution is don't get wet go up yeah so there's no other safety factor other than higher elevations so now this makes it now spencer you were completely right about this uh that what works to reduce damage is to be higher further back and better built that's sort of the three things that you're saying uh, and then it gets into this question of implementation. You're saying, so why, if it's that clear, and it is that clear, really, we sort of understand this stuff. We know what the projected storm surge levels are for most of the coast. I mean, at least within a couple of feet. Uh, and yet, we sim- we don't seem to be doing things in a less risky way, or are we? Are, are we doing the right thing? It, it, is the system functioning in response to the understanding that you have? I think maybe our biggest dysfunction now is the reliance on the 100-year design event. Hmm. That uh, That's perceived as a pretty high standard. Yeah. And there really are, are no other construction standards anymore that we put in terms of return periods for good reason. Yeah. Uh, but if, if we do um, and look at the safety factors that are built into the design system, uh, that puts the flood risk and the 100-year design standard in a lot better perspective. Mm-hmm. For instance, we started out with a 50-year design win in the building codes, but there have always been in the equation safety factors of 60% and, and bigger. Okay. So if you look at the, 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 the return period of the actual standard, including the safety factor, okay. wind design is 700 years. Okay. For sounds good. a hospital, it's 1,400 years. Okay, that sounds great. The earthquake standards are hmm. over 2,400 years, and fire standards are over 3,000. Huh. So... Well, for the audience out there, and, and, you know, I know in everybody in these conference rooms that we're all in at ASBPA here, understand what you're saying when you... Well, I would... Hold on a yeah, second. Yeah, I mean, now. well, most people understand what this means when you talk about return period interval storms and, and what how it relates to design. So you're a good educator with C Grant. I'm sure you explain this all the time. Tell our audience what, what return period storm standards mean when it comes to construction, because it's pretty specific, this sure. stuff. The, uh, the simple description is that the 100-year storm that we're designing for ha- has a chance of occurring once on average in every 100-year period. Or the other way to look at the same return period is to put it in a percentage per year. So that's a 1% chance in any year of that occurring. Right. So 1% <clears throat> chance a of a bad thing happening this year, that's a pretty low risk. Why do I need to worry about a 1% storm? Right. Uh, the, the trouble is that when you add that up statistically over the lifetime of a house. Right. And a 30-year mortgage. 
Well, um, you end up with uh, 20-some percent for a 30-year mortgage. Yeah. But I, I like to use the the average lifetime of a wood frame house in the southeast is, is about 70 years. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the accumulated risk of that 1% storm, with the manage, magic of nonlinear statistics, Got it. Uh, you end up uh, with a really simple uh, probability. Is it just 70? No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's heads or tails. It's not that simple, then. It's, not that simple. it's nonlinear. So the, the but it's, but to, it's close, I'll bet, right? Is it around 50 60%? No, it's, it's real close. It's, okay. It's 51%, so it's heads okay. or tails. Okay, okay. but let me I ask you this. Saying. Now, this is the other part of this, is it is a, a probability of a storm occurring, but the definition of the storm is a particular size. It is a particular magnitude. So um, when we're talking about a 500-year storm, we're talking about a storm that is going to be more powerful if it's a hurricane uh, with higher storm surge and greater wind isn't that right don't these standards equate to not i don't really help me out here don't they equate to storm magnitude they they do but not all conditions so it's not okay you're not going to have a 500 year wind with a 500 year flood all right um they're they're more often going to be separate okay so um uh, I mean, t- you, you could have 500-year flooding, and well, in uh, Hurricane Katrina, I had the highest storm surge on record on the Mississippi coast, and the wind speed on the Mississippi coast by the time Katrina got there was a Category One yeah. wind speed. Yeah. Yet it had a 28-foot storm surge. Yeah, Dorian was a little like that up here in North Carolina. It was Category One, low wind speed, a lot of surge. Did some damage, right? In, in certain it? areas, yeah, did some. Surgery. But this is, I mean, this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but this is why I think part of the problem in communicating with the public is the way we talk about this stuff. And we talk about return, uh, we just talk about storm intervals and design in a way that's kind of very cryptic and hard for people to get to. And what, what you were talking about observationally is, you know, look, I can go look at the situations after these hurricanes and pretty much I don't take the pictures anymore because I've, I've seen it and I know what the conditions are and this is what's going on. It's that the buildings are either too low for the level of storm surge that occurred, they were too close to the beach and perhaps overtaken by shoreline retreat, or, or there was a, a, a wind damage kind of thing. I mean, and that's what we're talking about here when you're, when you're suggesting that design standards for construction need to be tied directly to the risks of these events. Am I... Am I doing a good job and, on and that? safety factors are okay. appropriate. All right. And I'm trying to figure out, like, that's what that means, right? Yeah. Well, so, and, and we shouldn't think that we have a high flood standard in the United States because we do not. Mm-hmm. That there are other countries that use a couple thousand year storm yeah, surges. The and Dutch thinks it's absurd that we do 100 year flood It, it is. But I mean, they, like I say, we're like, using 700 year winds. Okay. And, and another way to think about the statistics is that, uh, you know, a thousand-year storm gets reported every now and then. A thousand-year flood—that that sounds amazing and terrible. Well, if there are a thousand independent flood areas in the United States, mm. and you know, floods are are linked locality to locality, so they're not all independent. But it's a big place. So, but there are probably a thousand every independent year. places. So, if that's the case, w- every year we yeah. should hear of one, one report of a thousand-year event. Yeah. Well said, yeah. So, you know, these extreme events may sound unusual and terrible, but if you got a big enough area, they're going to happen somewhere. Right. Well, let's talk about the the state of the art in, in terms of 
coastal management in North Carolina. Uh, we were listening earlier to a presentation. They talked about the the 30-year anniversary, I guess, is sort of nowish of the North Carolina Coastal Management Act that created the program. Is that about right? Uh, 1978. 1978. So, so it, that's it, 22. It came in about and, the time I did. Yeah, about 31 and, years. And the act was uh, was passed in 1974 and started to implement in 1978. Okay. So you've been here for the entire program. It started out, I mean, and, and this was also discussed in a presentation today, is that originally, and I think this was uh, Rob Young's point, uh, no seawalls, no groins, no structures. It had that prohibition, which was an early adoption of, a, of, of sort of a move to what we would call today living shorelines responses <laughs> as opposed to, to structures, right? So it was a pretty progressive law in its, in its original days. Uh, very much so, but it wasn't actually the law that did that. It was the mm. implemented regulations. Ah. That the law was a very general enabling legislation that, that appointed a commission right. of... Uh, a number of different professions that were supposed to bring their knowledge to the table to make these um, rules and regulations. Ah. And then they wrote it. They set up the hazard areas and the the rules within those hazard areas mm. on what could be developed and what couldn't. And um, it, it was uh, uh, amazingly effective for the conditions that we walked into back in 1978. Okay. Well, I'm going I'm to ask one question then turn it over to Tyler, but he asked, that we were trying to define the eras, and you said, well, you know, we're in the resiliency era. I think that's quite right. Uh, if you come to ASBPA, that's sort of all over the place nowadays. Um, there was a period here in North Carolina that I really have to ask you about and ask you to explain maybe to our listeners around the country, because this is the thing that was on Stephen Colbert, and it was the, the law that said you cannot consider sea level rise beyond 30 years. It was interpreted to mean and I, th- I thought it was kind of funny, and I, I, I have to admit, I sort of interpreted it this way <laughs> as a joke, honestly, but that they they simply outlawed it. They said, you know what, sea level is against the law, so therefore we're not going to have a problem with it. That's not quite right. Can you help our, our audience around the country understand what happened in that North Carolina law? Sure. I, I consider the Colbert Report a, um, a, a, a job performance standard, uh, <laughs> since I'm one of the authors of the report that set the, the legislature off. Uh, the uh, That's Coastal Resources right. Commission assembled a, a, a panel of uh, geologists and engineers called the Science Panel on Coastal Hazards and asked us to come up with sea level rise recommendations for their planning purposes and we did that and recommended a meter of, of planning uh, rise uh, by 2100 we did this back in in 2010 and uh, that's what uh, got the interest of the legislature they interpreted it as a regulatory tool when it was always intended for a planning tool and they said you can't implement it for regulations basically so they didn't actually ban it but they said you couldn't use it to set flood standards and other things. Let me, let me see if I understand. So the, it was a three feet over 90 years. This is 2010. That doesn't seem by standards discussed today. That wouldn't be inordinately out of whack with what other expectations are around the country now with projections, refinement of projections. Uh, but what they didn't they say, look, you can look at sea level rise, but you can't look you can't take any information that that suggests something beyond 30 years. Was that how they did the law? What did they do? No, they said you have to use the historical rates, which we had also evaluated uh-huh. um, and had recommended for the state. And we used actually a high 
uh, uh, an area of subsidence on the Duck Research Pier was the best oceanfront tide gauge that we could find at the time. Hmm. So we, we had a high dumber and we knew about it. And it, it was, was roughly the eight inches. Uh, now we were finding that for the southern part of the state. We, we just started the 10-year the, the, the update. We did a five-year update uh, based on a legislative requirement. While that law prohibited implementation of uh, those recommendations for rules by the state, any local government was free to use it at the time and, hmm. and could have. But the other irony is that they actually required the, the Coastal Resources Commission to update the study in five years. So while we may have banned sea level rise uh, uh, applications in the state, we also were one of the few legislatures to require it by law that it be studied. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, a little backdoor, uh, another little backdoor action there. Right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, and and really, what this comes into play is in the in the, the, the establishment of construction setback lines along the coast, which are a derivative of projected shoreline retreat, I think, in North Carolina? Uh, they are, but they're, at the present, they're not based on, on sea level rise. It, right. And, and is that what they, they made sure you didn't do, is, as, is when you looked at a 30-year uh, shoreline position or a 50 or a 60, that you weren't you had to look at the historic rates of erosion rather than the rate of erosion that would likely occur if sea level rose. Is that what happened? No, they just said you can't use it for sea level rise issues, and they didn't mention erosion at all. So erosion they, was not an issue and never has been. It, but would it, would it have affected permitting on the coast? I mean, was that the perception that your report could have been used in that, that was, way? That was a legislative perception, but right. it was not the actual plan. Correct. Okay, I understand. Now, are we past that era? Which uh, are we? Is that still the law? Uh, you're obviously updating the sea level rise projections for the state now. I think you said yes, but in compliance with the law, we did it in 2015 with the same science panel on coastal hazards. Okay, to comply with the law, right? And it was not very controversial and slid on through, and nobody said anything about it. Hmm. And as of last Friday, we started on the the 10 year update of the Got original it. plan, and we don't expect to have any surprises or. Huh. Uh, political flack on that one. Has the sea level rise projection changed in this 10-year period from 2010 to going into the 2020? I guess you're not done with the 2020, I, I'm sorry. Obviously. We started the study on, on Friday. <laughs> I don't have the answer yet. What do you mean you don't know? What time is it? <laughs> Our schedule These is... These bureaucrats, this is how it would sound, the people who criticize state employees, which I, I, I hate. One of my biggest objections is how people uh, denigrate the, the hard work that our public officials do in these agencies because I've been around them for a long time and it's a hard damn working group. But well, most so, of this but, panel is, is is not a hard working uh, state agency. They're they're, they're all unpaid uh, free advice that the state agencies have, have conned into helping them out. Right. When uh, we got some good technical help, and the plan is to have a, a final report for review on the order of February. So we'll be able to do this relatively quickly. We hope. Mm. Okay. Well, I want to change the direction, uh, and forgive me, because this has been a, a really great conversation about some of the uh, technical management kind of frame that uh, North Carolina is undertaking. But I'll tell you, um, I'm just going to I'm going to zoom way out uh, to space, in fact. And if you're going to look at uh, a, a map, if you were looking at a satellite image of the North Carolina shoreline, it is really interesting. It's one of the most interesting mm -hmm. state shorelines on the eastern seaboard. It really kind of strikes you. 
Cape Hatteras in particular is in, is an interesting feature. Now, I have personally never been to the North Carolina shoreline. I've never explored it myself. I know Peter has. But I was wondering if you, as a as a professional from, you know, someone who's worked there your, your whole career, um, would you say a few words about, like, the characterize the shoreline for our, our audience around the country? What are some of your favorite parts? What, what strikes you as being... Um, awesome about it we, we've got a little of everything um, and we got gorgeous beaches from 300 miles of oceanfront and we got 14,000 miles of estuary and shorelines um, a lot of which is pristine um, over half the oceanfront of the state is in public ownership in parks wow. national seashores so there's a lot of public access a lot of undeveloped land and we've got some um, a little more densely populated areas, but uh, we don't have the Miami beaches or the Myrtle beaches for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we're um, more along the lines of family beaches uh, and good small-scale summer resorts. Can, which, I, uh, can I just, uh, just going again, uh, I want to use your knowledge of the of the region, but like geologically, what created that big Cape Hatteras Cape out there? Like, was is it a river delta? What happened there? It's the uh, underlying geology that was a lot more apparent uh, uh, during the last ice age. And if you look at North Carolina now, um, the barrier islands and the Outer Banks didn't exist about uh, twenty five thousand years ago. In fact, there, huh. the, the Suffolk Scarp is a beach ridge that that goes up uh, relatively back into the, the mainland areas uh, that you can clearly see the dune ridges from 25,000 years ago. Wow. And then the last ice age hit. Uh, at that point, sea level was a little higher than it, than it is now. But the, the ice age hit and sea level dropped drastically uh, uh, for about uh, 18,000 years ago, it would have peaked out. And at that point in time, if you wanted to go to the beach on the Outer Banks, it would be between 20 and 70 miles to drive straight to the water to get to the beach. So there was a beach there, but it didn't look anything like the Outer Banks as we know it. Really? And what is now the Outer Banks, Pamlico Sound, and the the river systems of the northeast of North Carolina would have been a coastal plain with embedded rivers. And what you're seeing in the capes are the the embedded <coughs> river basins that don't always flow the way the way you think they did. Uh, for instance, the the area uh, through um, Rodanthe, Oregon Inlet area, the Outer Banks, the f- the river flow direction was was inland. So it wasn't flowing towards the ocean. It was wow. flowing back the other way. That is And it would have, would have exited somewhere out around Ocracoke or, or Lookout. Hmm. But um, so none of those features were there at, at the time. But about uh, 14,000 years ago or so, sea level started rising. And it, it rose relatively rapidly until about 5,000 years ago when it was approaching where it is today, uh, somewhat lower. But all of the sediment that was in the coastal plain was selectively sorted. The silt was washed away. The, the big rocky stuff was dropped in place and the sand was selectively moved up the continental slope. And um, when the sea level slowed down about 5,000 years ago, 
uh, it started moving all that excess sand that was coming up the continental slope that built the barrier islands, or most of them as we know them today in North Carolina. So the Outer Banks and the, uh, the, the areas of barrier islands in the southern part of the state are all about 5,000 years old at the oldest. And eventually all that sand that was moving up the, hmm. the continental slope got there, so there's no more sand coming from offshore anymore. We're just reworking the stuff that's already in the islands. And uh, most of our islands have a, at least a slow erosion rate. The median erosion rate in the state is about a foot per year on the ocean front. It's pretty so, modest, really, uh, by comparison. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, that's probably uh, in, the, in the absence of any better science, mm-hmm. that's probably the sea level rise impact. So our historical sea level rise is probably mm-hmm. driving uh, about a foot per year. And the, Interesting. The, the global, uh, the, the gauge data in the southern part of the state that's mainly global sea level rise uh, is about a nickel per year hmm. uh, for the last 70 or 80 Got years you. in thickness. Got you. Uh, and that's probably driving a foot of erosion or so. Hmm. For lack of better science. See, that's why, that's why, ladies and gentlemen, why you have Sea Grant, because that's what these guys do. And they're part of the academic, this is, as you said, it's, it's part of what uh, conceptually would be the land-grant university system. It's a, it's a kind of expertise that is used to uh, inform state uh, economic policy, state natural resource policy, and management. Uh, and Spencer, I appreciated that overview. I love the North Carolina coast. It's you're right. They're they're just it's it's pristine. They're just there just isn't the kind of development that you'll see on a Texas Bay or estuary. Um, it's just stunning. And the Back Bay marshes are, man. I just you would love this to be. I hope this the state is is capable of keeping the condition of its shoreline for the next fifty and a hundred years because it really is remarkable. It's fantastic. I really want to go. Love it. I mean, just it's beautiful that description. It's beautiful. The geology that, sounds fascinating. That's our goal for the future. Yeah, that's the goal. Now, I, we have to ask you about one more thing. I know it's the reception. Aren't we supposed to go get a drink here at the yeah, end of the day one? But earlier this year, there's been a lot of discussion early in the year uh, all along the Atlantic seaboard about the prospect of offshore oil and gas exploration activity. Um, the states along the Atlantic seaboard, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all, I believe, Virginia— Uh, Maryland, I think, uh, independently uh, filed legal actions in an attempt to uh, either stop or delay or require greater analysis of the offshore 3D seismic uh, exploration off the coast. And uh, this is the deal where the ships pull miles of cable and booming sound and are doing acoustic studies and they're preparing. They're, you know, obviously doing basic mineral exploration to see. Um, it, where does that stand? Did you, were you involved? What is the state's position? Tell us about what, the, what North Carolina did with respect to offshore oil and gas exploration proposals that were floated earlier this year by the Trump administration. One of the nice things about the Sea Grant job is that uh, they bring you in with a certain amount of expertise and expect you to help people with what you know, but they don't expect you to help with, with what you don't know. And <laughs> I don't know much about the oil and gas exploration, and I'm happy to stay out of that issue. I've got <laughs> sea level rise. Come on, Spencer. Plenty you, of other hazards. You knew to deal what with. was going. You know what was going on. The, the, the state did file suit, did they not? I know. I, I really don't know. You don't know. Uh, 
uh, Republican attorney generals did. I mean, this is controversial. And uh, well, there, there are people here in the meeting that that can answer that question. Yeah, that's true. Just not me. I just thought you would know because you know you've been around. When we get a beard, you can really tell me. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Thank you. I understand that's not in 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 your purview, so I I, I respect that. Well, uh, I do have one more question for you, um, and that is. Uh, one of the th- when when Tony uh, introduced you to and brought you up uh, to receive your award, uh, he commented on your mustache. Now this is a, a, a an audio program, so and I do have a photograph that will be circulating around social media. But I, I'm a mustache man, and uh, I'm just a baby mustache man though. You're a, you've got like a Teddy Roosevelt mustache and my question is you know my you can almost go back to my earlier question about eras of coast um has your have you always been running that mustache is it is it something you've kind of adopted over the years and has it always been that robust i I took a vacation uh 36 uh probably close to 40 years ago now almost uh, shortly after we moved to North Carolina, we, we bought a sailboat and went on a summer vacation cruise for 4th of July, ended up behind Shackelford Banks up in the, the Beaufort-Moorhead City area all by ourselves. And uh, I, I didn't have a razor with me, so it had started growing and it just, I haven't been able to get rid of it since. I love it. Yeah, it had a seagoing origin. I love that. That's right. You know, it reminds me of the guy. You know, the what's the what's the great movie that everybody loves with the bowler and, you know, the cowboy who narrates this movie. There will be blood. You're gonna kill me. I can't. I'm blanking out. Uh, but uh, it's 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 the cult movie. You know, uh, the, there's Bowler. The, 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 the deal with the, the money and the. <laughs> Do you know, Lebowski, the, the big Lebowski, the big Lebowski, <laughs> the, big Lebowski the guy in the big Lebowski yeah. at the end. Yes, right I with the stash. Is that not it? No, that is that is a great. Is that a good comparison? That's a wonderful comparison. The gentleman in question. Yes, whose name I can't remember. He's a, he's a pro- prolific actor. Yeah, still working. Sam Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott is his name. You have a Sam Elliott. You do. Before style. Sam Elliott had had one. I, you know what? I don't know the answer no. to that. But yeah, probably that is probably, probably the case. True. Yeah. He's getting pretty old now. I don't know who got there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Spencer Rogers, the coastal engineer of record for North Carolina Sea Grant Program for the past 41 years, recipient of the presidential, the 2019 President's Award here at ASBPA. Uh, congratulations on the award, Spencer. Thank you for sitting down with us at ASBPA. Always good to hear from the pros. I love talking to the smart guys, and uh, you're one of those, and thanks for giving us a tour of the coast. Thanks for the invitation. Beaches are set up in the hotels My father's and mine was you Birds on the lawn, sunlight at dawn Singing mama now Take one, but I'm